Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Imagine this. You're eight years old, you live in a small village, and a group of strange men come to recruit soldiers for a ruthless, dangerous cause. Your dad is taken. You walk for one and a half days to join the soldiers so your dad can return to the village, but you're sent home, unable to hold an AK-47. Your dad only returns home much later for your grandfather's funeral, and on that night, your village is ambushed. You run for days until you find a refugee camp. This all happened to my next guest, who saw and lived too much for one so young in Sudan. About 10 years later, Majuk Tulba was brought to Australia by a humanitarian refugee program. At 16 years of age, he learned to read and write through the Catholic Intensive English Centre, and today he's published a critically acclaimed book called Beneath the Darkening Sky. Today, at 27 years of age, he lives in Sydney with his wife and two children. Majok is the CEO of Sudan Care. He's giving a voice to those who otherwise have to remain silent and has now become an author. It's been a packed 27 years. Majok Tulba, welcome to Open House. Thank you. It's a privilege to meet you. Can I start by asking you to take us back to your earliest memories of those days in your village? I remember my village as being green and beautiful. As a boy in um, in southern Sudan, we don't go to schools because of war. So my job as a boy was to look after goods uh, in the fields. I love uh, waking up to the sound of it in the morning. I didn't want to be anywhere else. Uh, that was my universe. And on that day that your father was taken? My father was living in the village. When the rebel came, uh, I was not at home. And then my grandfather, he told me that my father had been taken by the rebels. And he asked me uh, whether I would be brave enough to, to go to the army and um, maybe take the place of my father so that my father can return uh, back to the village. So I told him, yeah, I'm happy to, to come along. We arrived at the rebel camp. The rebel commander were sitting under a big tree. He um, turned his eyes and looked at us, and then he said, Hey, young boy, come here. Are you ready to fight? How strong are you? I said, Yeah, I'm ready to fight. Then he looked up and down at me. He said, Have you ever fired a gun before? And he said, Okay, this is what we use to, to defend our country, and you will need to, to have one of those if you are a soldier. And then he asked me to hold the gun. Uh, I tried the gun, to hold the gun with one hand, but the gun was really, really heavy. Just like he left the gun here. And um, yeah, I landed on my butt. It was like the greatest joke for them. He said, okay, get up. You are the weakest boy I've seen. Were you afraid for your dad? I didn't even see my dad. I was afraid for him. I didn't want to be a soldier, but I was ready to take his place at whatever cost. But uh, the rebel commander said, now you are too weak, shorter than AK-47. My arms and legs were skinny. So you had to go back to your village? Yeah, he said, go back to the village and, and maybe next year, eat a lot. Maybe next year you will be much stronger. Your village, you say, was a Christian village. What did that mean for you at that age and in those circumstances? It mean a lot, yes. My village was 
Christian village, um, I learned about Christianity as soon as I learned to walk and talk. We had a lot of missionaries uh, who come and teach about Bibles. A lot of adults from my village uh, pray about all this, about the rebels, about the governments, about the life in, in the war zone. The majority of the people uh, in my village became Christian. If they were to survive, you have to believe in God. If they were to die, then they die believing in God. Did you wonder about where God was when your father was taken away? Many, many times. Many times. Because if God was a person that you can just walk and talk to, I would have actually go to him and tell him to um, turn that side of the world upside down. As a child, I trust in God. And I thought that maybe everything that is bad is not going to come close to me. If God were there, I would have asked him to kill the rebel commander or kill all the soldiers, all the rebels. Especially, as I said before, when your village was ambushed. The word is spread to, to the government towns. They accuse my village of supporting the rebels. So the government sent their armies to attack and destroy the village. So what we had to do was to, to run away. And you ran for days and days. Uh, yes, um, I ran for days, many, many days. So how was it that you came to Australia as a refugee? I crossed the border to a bigger refugee camp for uh, UN in Uganda in 1999. One of the aid workers uh, happened to be Australian. And one of them was friend to my uncle who, who were in Australia. He came from uh, Egypt and he was well connected in Australian community. And the friend of my uncle by that time said, okay, I have uh, his brother's sons here with me. And then uh, my uncle sent me a refugee uh, humanitarian form. It took a, about five to six months. And then they gave me a visa to, to come to Australia. How long were you in the refugee camps for? Um, very, very long time. Yes. Since, since I was nine, seven to, to ten years. Since I left my village, I've, I've never gone back. So it was like moving from one refugee camp, live there for a while, then move to the next. And what was it like coming to Australia? Uh, when I was in refugee camp and in South Sudan, I thought that the whole world was, was fighting, like my country. So when I came to Australia, it was a huge shock yes. to see that people smile as strangers. Everybody is happy. You don't worry about a thing. Airplanes are not there to, to, to draw bombs. So it, it was uh, scary at first. I didn't know that I would, I would fit into the community. Did you have much help to be settled into Australia? Uh, yes, I have much, much help. I arrived on Saturday, and on Monday, my uncle took me to uh, Catholic Intensive English Centre. I had a lot of uh, help there, counselling. How hard was it? recovering those memories in your mind, being healed from them? It was very, very hard. They don't get healed because the memories will always be there. The only way I, I learned to heal them is by writing. Your novel, Beneath the Darkening Sky, has really helped you. It's a novel, but based on those kind of experiences from your boyhood. Yes, uh, it has helped me a lot. It's fiction, but within this fiction, there is a true story. Maybe the world doesn't know about all this, or maybe they know, but they don't want to talk about it. So I decided maybe I will um, 
keep telling these stories as long as there are people who want to know about things that are happening outside their country. And you've gone on to head up Sudan Care as well. So you're using those experiences as tough and as bad as they were to do good in the lives of other people. Since Sudan is not in war anymore, the war has stopped, but there is nothing there. No health care, no schools. So we set up uh, Life Care Sudan to help people in South Sudan, especially my village where I was born. Later in the year, I will, um, I will start a project where I'll raise funds here in Australia to, to build a clinic in my village, the first ever for uh, children and um, mothers, especially pregnant mothers. So you've still got a very strong connection with that village. That village is in my blood. <laughs> I have a very, very good connection with it. It's like a lifeline, my lifeline to the world. So I, I will always love my village despite it looks different now because it's full of broken walls and everything has been torn down uh, during the war. It's a wonderful thing that you can keep that connection because you have such a different life now. You have a wife, you have children. I have uh, boys, I have my wife, and everything is uh, it's beautiful. I can't change what happened in the past in that village, but maybe I can change the future. That would make my village a paradise again because everything has been torn apart by war. But if I build that clinic, it will bring back the hope that the people have there and the faith that they have in their land. It would be a wonderful thing if you did. How do you describe your life in Australia now? I get along really, really well. I have a lot of wonderful friends who are helping me along the way in settling in. Um, I'm one of Aussie guys now. I know my way around. I have fun like 27-year-old Aussie. My life here is really wonderful. Sometimes I, I may have flashbacks that, that are terrible, but that is when I write if I have those flashbacks. Yeah. But my, my life here is yeah, it's wonderful. I go to Bondi Beach uh, mainly and swim there in, in the ocean, so I love it. And your family? Uh, my family, yeah. I have a wonderful three boys. Um, they go to school. I don't want them to experience what I've been through. But I think maybe when, when they grow up, they will be asking me a lot of questions. A lot of people who are born in Australia, I have no idea um, how lucky they are to be born here and have this beautiful country. What they don't hear, those sound of scary things. So um, to wake up in the morning anytime you want, to, to go to sleep whenever you want, to eat as much as you want, drink water as much as you want, is a wonderful thing. It's an important message for us to hear, but also at this time... In our nation's story, it's an important story for us to hear about the value of opening our hearts to refugees who come here from such trouble. When you used to wonder about God allowing you to go through these terrible things in your village, how do you look back on that now? Do you wonder why God did that or how God was at work through that? Through a couple of refugees came, there were times when I thought that maybe there is no God. And there were times I had to prove to myself that there is God. Because when I look back at things that I've lived through, something that I've come out of without actually losing my own life, sometimes I, I realize that there is God there. Maybe he's, uh, he's not quick to, to take action. He, he might be, or he might be a good sleeper. 
it's, it's living uh, while all this is happening. And uh, there are a lot of things that prove it to me um, personally that God is there. Here now, I know that the well is much bigger than I thought. And I think he, he must be a busy guy trying to look <laughs> after all this. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly is looking after you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, yeah the, I believe there's God. Yeah. God is there. And good. And good, yeah, he he does a lot of wonderful, wonderful things. So, yeah, it, it proved himself to me that he's, he's there. Major Kulba, it's a great honour to meet you, and I'm so glad that you've been able to tell us your story here on Open House. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.